everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Peace, Love, and Me. Our first one back in a few weeks. What's up, guys? And uh, what's <laughs> up? Bef- and we're today is actually first. No, it's not. Today is the 29th because it's That's the extra right. day this year. They'll be I'm sleeping on it. Because we have an extra day. Backwards. <laughs> and, uh, but we're wrapping up the... The longbow giveaway this month. So before we kick that off, or before we you know kick off the rest of the episode, we just want to say like thank you to everybody who's entered this month. Also, this one obviously was big because it had a lot of one of the entries was the podcast mm-hmm. reviews, which there's been a ton of really great ones come through, which is always pretty cool to read and see like people have been listening and it's supporting for so long, and that's always kind of like awesome but humbling yeah. in a sense, you know that. It's just, podcasting is weird like that, man. And when you put out content for a long time and you're just like, is anybody going to even listen or watch or read any of this? You never yeah. really know when you put something out. And so it's cool to like have that assurance mm-hmm. that like, you know, people, you know, even if it was only the, the, the few dozen that have put in the reviews, yeah, I'm good yeah. with that. You know what I mean? Like, I don't need, I don't need well, more. that's, so, I think you and I have talked about that a lot too. Um, we yeah. just want the, whoops, sorry about that. We just want the audience to be organic and like invested. I would rather have 10 listeners every week that were the same people than 500 people that just come and go. And that's not, you know, if you're listening to this, don't take that as me like implying that if you don't listen, it's a problem. But like, I just want, I just want real honest feedback from the people that that listen and matter. Um, The people that truly support and whatnot. And I really do think that the audience that we've garnered is some of the best uh, people that that I could have asked for. So thank you very much for for the involvement, the encouragement, and uh, the support, just trying to support these smaller brands, support people like Ray, who I think is fantastic, Francesca at Teton Leather. Just, I mean, I mentioned that I would like to do something for the giveaway, and she was like, wait a minute, I've got some really cool stuff right here. Just take it. And, I mean, from the people that would listen that would buy a shirt, that would buy a sticker, that would buy a mug, the people that took the time to write a review and leave five stars, and then to have people on the other side, like, whatever you need, let me know. And it, it just, thank you for helping me do that. Um, you know, I appreciate it because you've helped me kind of kick this thing up a little bit. And I guess to kind of stay on topic, but a little bit adjacent to that, as we've talked about the, the podcast space is so oversaturated. It's so, it's so oversaturated. So to be in a place where for a long time, I didn't know what to say because the world's on fire. You know, you got COVID, you've got all this instability in politics. People are struggling financially. You know, I wanted to grow a business, but it's also like, I don't want to ask people for money for nothing. Um, you know, so it was, it was a struggle for me to really kind of find a rhythm and a rhyme on what to move forward. And then you helping me out with like setting up a website and getting all that stuff done. Um, it's just, it's, it's been really, really great to have that support from you. And then also being able to exercise more for the people that wanted that stuff. And, you know, this, this front, you know, I've talked about it too many times, but you know, my life has been pretty hectic as far as like always being on the go and having special things like winter strong. And then I had a hunt in Mexico um, and hunting really, really hard last season. So I think selfishly and maybe even cautiously, I've wanted this thing to start, you know, the track to start getting behind the wheels a little bit and rolling forward. But now I've really feel like I've turned a corner mentally 
on what this can be. Um, not that I ever thought it was a waste, but like really wanting to not waste people's time with what I posted and shared. And we've talked about that. Um, so I feel like we're in a really good place. And I feel like these giveaways have been instrumental to my enthusiasm. Um, I love and I started the whole page wanting to find people that were doing incredible shit that no one cared about, that no one was paying attention to. And that's not to say that these people don't have followings or they're, they're struggling, but it's like, these are people that are just really, they're just really great people that are fighting the dragon of industry. You know, like you can go buy a, a, a Levi's wallet at Walmart for 12 bucks. And then here's a person who's handcrafting exotic leathers and, you know, making amazing stuff. You've got Ray, you can go buy a, a bow on Amazon for 150 bucks, or you can buy a custom for 3000. And Ray is just a guy that makes a beautiful bow at an affordable price. And he was interested in helping somebody get involved in archery. So I, I it just, that's always been important to me is to, to try to help people up that I think are doing amazing, cool, like you said, under the radar things and shine some light on them because yeah, the difference of, let's say three people order a river bend longbow. I don't know how many bows he sells in a year, but I would think for a small builder, I mean, when I built furniture, um, if I got three new orders for a year, that was, that was almost a new, a whole other month of income, you know? So that kind yeah. of thing. Um, Seriously. It's just, you don't know, you don't know how it impacts people. You don't know if it helps someone as much as you hope it does. But I certainly hope that when you see these names and you see these companies and you come to the point where it's like, you know what, I didn't win the bow, but I'd really like one. Ray's a great guy, even if the bow's yeah. not free, you know, so that kind of right. stuff. But, um, that, and we have like all of these awesome, like all of these awesome companies that have contributed to every one sure. of them so far. And then we have the one that's coming up this, this or next month in mm -hmm. March with the recurve, we're going to have even more stuff mm -hmm. with that one. So it's like, it's, it's cool. And I was talking to a few people at Winterstrong about it where, um, they're asking me just, you know, or, or telling me how cool it was, all these things that we're doing. And I was like, you know, when we officially like hit the, the launch mm -hmm. button in January with all the, with all the stuff, it was kind of, kind of wild and, um, in a good way. Cause I think we were both, we've talked about it a few times, both pretty surprised mm -hmm. at the mm -hmm. response at the start, which was kind of, and I, and I, the way that I had told it to somebody, I can't remember who I was talking to, but I was like, it really kind of in a good way forces the creative aspect for both right. of us. Well, it's an outlet into overdrive. Yeah. yeah. And now it's like, Oh, now there's people that are literally mm -hmm. invested in what we're doing. And so it just makes me like me as a, as somebody who enjoys this kind of stuff, it just makes me want to do more stuff for that on the, on the back end for mm -hmm. these people now. Cause like, look, there's actually people that have shown that yeah. they like, <laughs> like listening or have cool designs on shirts. I'm like, let's just do freaking 40 shirts. A month. I'll, I'll design the hell out of some well, shirts. You know, you know what I mean? Like the stuff well, like yeah, that. For sure. And I think one of the cool things too, and um, just to clarify, you know, the page I think probably got put on pause a little bit so that the, the, the fourth wall section, the membership section could grow and evolve. But now it's like, I have full intention and I was actually working on it a little bit last night. Um, I have had a really hard time riding lately. I mean, really, really hard time riding. And I am not a prompt driven rider, even though I share prompts, it's very difficult for me to write about things on demand. It's more like I get a feeling and then I start to have thinking around that feeling and then I can't stop the pen from going. But I was like, what are some things 
that you've asked yourself recently that have helped. So I got down eight or nine journal prompts. So you'll be seeing journal prompts again. You'll be seeing more sharing of like music, more sharing of books, more sharing of movies, more sharing of things that just in passing might inspire me. Or, or you know, if it's a photograph, like uh, I saw something the other day that said the end is near. And uh, it was just a beautiful piece of graffiti. And it was done really, really well. And like, you know, it doesn't always translate to the world being over. It's like your struggle, the end is near. Um, I just looked at it as a different way. And it's like, what does this statement mean to you? Like, it's a piece of art. What does that statement make you feel? And I'm very much a feel person. I'm a a very emotional person. Um, You know, that's been the, it's the double-edged sword, right? I think that would surprise people. I think so too. I mean, I, I would classify myself... I mean, I don't want to pat myself on the back and, and make myself sound like I'm something I'm not, but I'm a very sensitive person. And I mean that in, in, mm-hmm. in the ways of like, I pay attention to things. Um, I think about things. Um, I think that I default, even as, as harsh and rugged as I can seem, I very much default to being a positive person. Um, yeah. I try to find the good in people. I try to find the beauty in the marred. Um, and I think that that gives life an interesting spin and I'm guilty of failing myself on the non-negotiables that I have, which are, you have to reflect on yesterday. You have to think of like, it's very easy if you won the lottery and you write down, yeah, I won the lottery. I'm thankful for that. Of course. But like, you know, walking by someone in Walmart and you look at them and you know, they're a little bit scared of you. And then they, they smile and it's like, how are you doing? How was your day? Can I help you with your cart? Um, can you reach that? Let me get that for you. Like, that's something I'm thankful for. The opportunity, yellow, <laughs> you know, like the opportunity to just think about those little things that really are what make life life. You know, it's it's human interaction. It's the small stuff because the big stuff is always easy to notice. So I try to focus on five things at a very minute level that I am thankful for that happen. And then I try to learn something new every single day. Um, whether it's watching a YouTube video about something I have no idea about, or maybe even getting a little bit better on something that I'm practiced in. And then the last thing is to help a stranger. Um, I don't know that I've helped enough strangers. I don't know that I've been grateful enough for the minutia. And I definitely have continued to learn things, but I think I've focused too much in like the archery direction. So, you know, I'm challenging myself to like, Hey, you're going to learn something about archery today. You're going to watch a video or listen to a podcast because I do that every single day. Um, but it's like, don't stay in one lane of learning. Like there's so many things to learn in this life. There's so many amazing opportunities to choose new things, to find stuff that you're curious about and wondering about. And like, I'm a history guy. History is incredible. So if you like the Mongols, check out um, what's his name? Dan, uh, Dan Carlin. You know, the Mongols, that's an amazing podcast. Well, maybe that inspires you to read a book about the Mongols. Maybe that inspires you to learn about the art of the Mongols or the tools of the Mongols. Like there's so many ways to just go deeper and deeper into things. And um, I just need to get back to that. I think those things kind of ground me on days like you've you've heard me talk where I'm frustrated or I'm struggling with things. Those are actually the antidote to frustration and struggle is like, no, amongst all this, these things still happen and these things were still good. Um, but I think I'm just as guilty of anyone as positive and, and, and upbeat as I try to be that I can focus on the negative very, very easily. Um, 
so yeah, just those kind of things that I was writing about last night, um, writing about some of the, the things that have caused me hurt and frustration, um, and really just spinning it all the way around. Like, you know, I had an amazing conversation with Bert, um, a few days ago and really, really just kind of delved into what I do, who I am at Sornex, the, the role that I can play, the ways that I can help. And coming from a person who is very invested in being an employee of Sornex, a friend of Bert's, I always want to do the best job that I can. And, you know, that was just a conversation of how can I do more? How can I do the very best job that you could imagine for me? And the feedback that I got was incredible. And like, I need that kind of stuff. I need to feel connected to the people that I care about, the things that I care about. And, you know, it's just been a whirlwind since COVID. Like Sornex has, has really, really dug in and done a great job. But, you know, that distanced me and Bert sometimes because I'm not in the office. So when we're getting on the phone and we're talking about it, it's like, yeah, we both probably could have made calls or sent text messages along the way. And I'm not speaking like there's no negative here. It was just like life happens. People get busy and I just wanted to get back on track in every front of my life. I wanted to write more in my journal. I wanted to think more about the things that I could be doing. I wanted to figure out, man, I'm, I'm doing a good job and I know that I am, but what can I do more? What can I give more to this company? Because ultimately Bert gave me a job when, when everybody else was pulling away from me after I got hurt in powerlifting and Bert gave me a job just because I told him, I said, I need a job. I don't care what it, what it is. Yeah. I'll clean toilets. I'll do anything. And he said, well, it may be that and it may be a lot more, but I, you've got a job. And I feel like I owe Bert tremendously for the way that my life reshifted after that. And the experience is like everything that anybody knows about what I do and have gotten to do, the hunts I've been on, the places I've traveled. Um, it's not been without effort, but it's like Sornex and Bert opened a lot of doors yeah. to a new life. So it's always important to me to, to connect with Bert and really figure out what he's looking for, what he's chasing as far as a company, the the attitudes or not the attitudes, but the, um, the personalities that yeah. he is interested in following. I can follow, I can communicate with. So I like trying to be uh, uh, not necessarily the right hand, but I want to be an asset and, you know, to kind of spin back to where some of that conver- conversation came from was I thought Winterstrong was, an exodus from the old format, obviously, yeah. but I think it was one of the best years ever, if not my favorite year to date. Um, there was a little bit of challenge with the fact that before it was invite only. Right. And, and this year it was open somewhat to the public. Um, I think people that just expected to just expected to be on the gravy train a little bit, um, just expected to be there because of who they are or whatnot wasn't necessarily the case. And I think the attitudes and the personalities that showed up, like I said, I got there Wednesday and, uh, you know, I get there pretty much first thing in the morning and I'm looking around and it's like, well, the tents are already set up. The chairs are already set out. Like somebody's been here kicking ass for a day or two. And then every single person that came in, you know, and these are some of these are like on Wednesday, especially these are some of the more VIP types, the, the personalities that more people would know than not. And they're like, what can I do? How can I help? You know, carrying kettlebells to different stations, carrying pallets, moving food, unloading trucks. Um, I don't think anybody there thought they were bigger than the event. Yeah. And I think in years past, um, I can point to a few people uh, 
who just maybe misunderstood what they were there for. It wasn't yeah. about them. It was about the event. And I don't say that with any callous or meanness. I just say yeah. I observe people. And dude, I'll tell you, I think for myself, I, I did not think I'm Brandon Lilly. I'm here. I'm the man. But I think that I was like, I've been here before. I need to just kind of step back sure. a little bit. And that's the dumbest thing in the world. Like this is a full immersion event. Like last year, I think the dynamic of the event had changed a little bit. Some of the personalities were challenging for me. And I think I just retracted a little bit. So this year was a little bit of a, a stepping back into the fray, um, yeah. working to just make sure that if trash needed thrown away, it was picked up and thrown away. Dude, you were all over the place, man. Well, I was you were trying. Just, you were just zipping around in side by sides and like I'd see you for 20 minutes and then you're <laughs> off doing something else. And it was, yeah, well, I, it was you cool. Know, you know, Liz was helping me with that. She was, you know, helping at the at the range and just making yep. sure that, you know, everything was good. She had a blast shooting it, shooting the bow and. Um, you know, just being there and then like, you know, all you guys with the trad bows, um, Dude, that was over the coolest, that was the coolest, you know, I was really proud of that photo. Yeah. Um, I was really, really proud of the fact that like, I don't think that's me, you know, that is to me, that is a recognition of what Corey Hawks influence is because when Corey yeah. first came, you know, he was the, he was the weird dude with the trad bow yeah. and I was curious about it. And shortly after that, I met um, Donnie Vincent. At, yep. At, he came to Sornex just independently with a guy named Nick, um, who's his field manager and kind of videographer. They came down and he was working, I think, at the time with Joel Turner on getting his trad bow going. Yep. And that was my second kind of introduction to it. And then right after that, you know, a year later, I'm shooting a trad bow. And then you look and it's like, you're there, Greg's there, Matthew Morris. Packrat Bushcraft, like all these guys, like just really, really good people like T-Mac. You yeah. know, I know he shoots a trad <laughs> yeah. boat, but for him to bring it like that yeah. was just cool, you know. And then want to um, be involved with it like yeah. the whole weekend. I mean, when you talk about guys that are personalities that people would recognize and mm -hmm. like probably want to be flocking around like he had some of that obvious. I mean, he probably I would he might be in the top two or three in terms of, you know, online audience of follower count. Mm -hmm. in number of anybody yeah. that was there the whole weekend. Oh yeah. You know what and I mean? he was like awesome. he's, And he was just wanting to be like, he did that whole walk in that, that course with us on that Friday afternoon. Mm -hmm. And like, he was totally into it and just wanted to be a part of it and was just awesome the whole time. So it's like, yep. and Tyler it, Minton, you know, and Tyler. Like, yeah. Like he's mm -hmm. a guy that's, he's crushing it in nutrition. Um, you know, every post he puts up is multiple thousands of likes. Dude, and here's awesome. a guy that is, here's a guy that like, just picked up a challenge. And to, and to me, when I see somebody that's taken on the traditional archery, you just, you know, if they stick with it at all, they're a different kind of breed yeah. and it's a qualifier. You know, I'm not saying that people, it's not for everyone. I don't think that, but when yeah. a guy sticks with it and commits to it, for me, it's a qualifier that this person is a little bit of a deep water kind of individual. Yeah. So very, very proud of that. I thought the food was really good this year. Mm -hmm. Um, there was enough food this year. Last year, there's, I think some people kind of came in and <laughs> yeah. it skewed, it skewed the menu a little bit, but this year, you know, you had Jason Ellsworth, you had Traeger daddy, you know, he's there, the, the, the rivets were there. Um, but I looked around and it's like, you see these amazing people like CJ LaMotta and Prescott the guys that are Sornex salary employees, yeah. um, that are like foregoing the events to help cook and serve people and pour into people. I, I just, one last thing about, you know, from my internal perspective, yeah, I think that um, I just want to say it public. 
recognition of Ricky Hartsog. You know, he is crushed it. Dude. He is my direct contact and liaison at the. No, oh, he's above me. Like he is the operational manager of the outdoor side, and he's kind of the guy that I report to. And dude, his list was so detailed, and like you could just see the lines getting crossed off. There was no bullshit. He didn't have to ask people twice to do things. Like Ricky runs a really, really tight ship. And I think that Winterstrong has evolved and become the best one yet this year because Ricky yeah. has just keep he just keeps gaining confidence. He keeps gaining leadership capabilities yep. and crushed it. And I think Bert, Josh, you know, Josh is kind of operations manager over Sornex proper. Um, Bert and Josh supporting, but also believing in Ricky enough to turn him loose. I only think Winter Strong will get better and better from year. What did you think about the competition aspect this year versus the previous? Dude, it w- well, I obviously liked it more because we placed this year. So I was kind of see if you're going to brag on yourself a little <laughs> of bit. You I know? Am. Of course I am. We got third. Squeal Team Six. Yeah. Uh, right. <laughs> um, but the format of it, I thought, was way more. I mean, it was more fun. Mm-hmm. Like the other, the other two times uh, when it was you know, kind of amazing race style yeah, right? yeah, yeah. and you're, you're running a loop and you're stopping along the way and you're competing for time. Like those kind of things are fun. Cause you got to be dialed in it. You, you basically what I, what I came to the realization of, and I think is what maybe even initiated some of the change was like, if you had a killer archer yes. and a couple of fast dudes, like you were going to be fine. Yep. But it well, put that's the a, thing. You and could, it put a lot on those guys, though, and it kind of took a little bit off of some other people in the group. Not that that was, I mean, it was just that was the way the format lended mm-hmm. itself for how you're going to be successful, right? So, like, yeah. the same couple of teams were at the top every year because it's like whoever yep. had this dude shooting, like, he was going to be because that was always going to be the biggest indicator of shaving points, right. is hitting targets and stuff. Yep. But it also made it the previous way to where you weren't really involved with any of the other teams. Right. You know, so like the format changed to this year where now it's not a race. You're stopping at stations and everybody's there for the exact same amount of time. And we shotgun started. So everybody's starting at the same time and finishing at the same time. And now you're just there trying to accumulate as many points you can. It forces every single person on each team to Mm -hmm. be really into it and actually have a chance to contribute to what ended up being a success or not on your team. Yeah. Right. So like there was times where I'm really glad because I was, I spent so much time and I can't, I feel so bad that I can't remember his name, but the, the fishing pro that was, Oh dude. Yes. Um, he was so fun, dude. Both of them. And Tommy was the other one. I can't remember the, the, the main guy's name that was doing most of the seminar. I feel terrible. I'll be honest with you. The thing about him that confuses me, is he looks just like my hunting buddy that I hunt with in Oklahoma, Jamie Drillyard. Oh, really? He looks, he's like a, he's like, <laughs> if you took Jamie and stretched him like five feet, because yep. Jamie, <laughs> yeah. oh, not really, but like five, right. you know, you put five or six yeah. inches on top of Jamie's head and it's the same individual. Yep. Dude, um, that's funny. I spent, I spent so much time down there with him on Friday because I'm like, oh, hell yeah, man. We get to do some fishing stuff. I was so pumped about the fishing introduction mm-hmm. of oh, stuff. Yeah. And he, and like his whole thing down there was like, he, he basically just had an open Q and a the whole time he was there. Like yep. he had all kinds of gear laid out on the table, all kinds of different reels and rods that he had set up for people to practice casts and stuff. But he literally was just an open book. He's like, anything you want to know about any species of fishing, where you're fishing, lakes, streams, rivers, open ocean. Like I, I was kind of, I think I had told you, but like I had just imagined in my head, cause he's, you know, he was a bass pro 
for 20 years or however many years he was doing it. I'm like, he's obviously got a specialization, right? But I'm coming Mm -hmm. in like, oh, I'm from out West. I hunt big, fast rivers for steelhead on the river, on the drift boat, you know, I'm like, maybe he can help me with some stuff, but I don't know how much experience he has out here. So I just asked him a couple of questions. I'm like, well, I'm from out West and I do steelhead. And right when I said steelhead, he just like lit up because he probably is like, I don't get asked this type of thing a lot, you know? And he just went off for like five or six minutes with some suggestions for uh, like how to set certain drags, if I'm drifting or if I'm bank fish. I mean, it was awesome for Mm. five or six minutes. And so I spent so much time down there with him that there was a couple of things I didn't even get to do. And that was the other thing that I was going to say that I was really pumped about was there was so many more Mm -hmm. breakout sessions. Like it it, it was almost impossible. And I, I didn't, get to do all of them, but it was yeah. almost impossible to get to all of them. Be- and there was a yeah. couple that I was like very white tail specific guys. So I'm like, Joe you know, miles. Yeah. yeah Joe yeah, hanging deer amazing. stands and then the yep. ear, the, the e-scouting and yep. like all that kind of stuff, which was really awesome. And obviously not as applicable to me. So I'm like, I don't really do tree stands. So I'm like, I don't need to go spend 30 oh, minutes over you're a tree spot stand. stalker. You're yeah. spot stalker. <laughs> right. <Got it. laughs> right. But, um, <laughs> But I didn't even get to do much time with the field craft guys doing medical stuff. Yep. So when it came time in the competition for the medical station, like that's mm-hmm. when everybody's got to do something. But luckily we had three people that spent an hour with those guys. So it's yeah. like, okay, you might not be the best shooter or whatever, but you have the information we need right now. So mm-hmm. that was as far as the competition goes, what made it awesome. And then the coolest part of the whole competition aspect, which was just the brilliant move of having the final showdown finale in front of everyone, like Mm -hmm. having it be one final deal with the top four teams competing for the top three places. Cause I had thought about this too. Like if you just take the top three and then you're given prizes for three, like everybody's going to be like, Oh, I'm getting something regardless, but you throw that fourth team in there and now somebody's going home with nothing. Then it's like, okay, everybody's switched on, but then to put it in front of everybody else at the whole event, like just amplifying the energy. Everybody on the Connex. Everybody's and on top and like yeah, lining yeah. the whole thing. Dude, it was, it was so fun. And it was uh, the only thing. And I, I was talking to Danny about this after we were talking in the airport at five o'clock in the morning on, on Sunday, as we're all heading out, we were, we'd stopped at the little Dunkin' Donuts in the, in the airport. And we're just chatting <laughs> yeah. about stuff, recapping, you know, and we had both said like, if there was only, if there was anything to improve upon the comp part, it would be to, have some way to stretch out the length of the, the final showdown. Cause it was over yeah. so fast. Like yeah. it was so fast, which was cool, but it was like, it was, it literally done inside of two minutes, if that. Yeah, yeah. And so he's like, if there was a way that we could maybe add something or find a way to stretch it out a little bit, get some more, build some more tension into yeah. it. Like that would be the only thing, but it yeah, was, the, it, was it would be cool bad, if dude. it was like a stage thing. So like you make it to the final four, and then there's a stage one, let's just say the exact amount of events yeah. that we had there or like the, the final event. So yeah, I want to, I want to kind of paint a picture. So people that weren't there or didn't see any video <laughs> around it, understand. So imagine you've got a thousand yard rifle range and yep. you've got probably a hundred, 150 yards before the first berm. I'm not sure the distance, but let's just call it 150 yards at the end of each berm or at the end of the berm, a hundred, 150 yards in front of the connex, the three-story connex where you have a shoot house. Um, imagine four pallets mm-hmm. that are covered with a horse stall mat. They've covered with kettlebells, rocks, chain, whatever it was. And it was about was a thousand a, pounds of just stuff. Just yeah, a thousand to eleven hundred pounds of of random stuff. And the entire team has to run up there and collectively carry everything back but the pallet. 
or, you know, you have to take everything above the pallet, everything from the pallet up. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, it, it was cool that, you know, that was, that was stressed pretty thoroughly, like everything from the pallet up, but, um, it cost the fastest team up and the fastest team to grab the implements, um, a little bit of, well, it cost them everything really. Cause mm-hmm. the, um, the mat was a part of the above the pallet statement and, mm-hmm. You know, it's that's important. Like that is one of the things that Bert stresses to us is like your comprehension level and your retention level under stress, you know, and um, I think that's why he didn't make a huge point of it. I mean, it was said and stated, but it wasn't like, hey, if you you don't get the mat. Yeah. yeah. Danny was just asked about it and he said, like, are we bringing because somebody asked, are we supposed to bring the pallets back? Yeah. And Danny just looked and he goes, everything from the pallet up. And he said it just like that. And then that was it. Yeah. Yeah. Like he didn't repeat it after that. Yeah. So, you know, and that was cool. But what I was saying is if, okay, there's four teams at that stage and then one team gets eliminated. Oh, then there's another yeah. stage where one team gets eliminated. And now you've got a head to head for the final, the final which could, I think something like that could be really, that really be cool. cool. Yeah. You know, because sure. then you've got the, you've got the fatigue aspect of it. Like, you just killed yourself to do this as hard as you could go because yep. you've got to qualify for the next round. And then the next thing would be just as hard as you can go. And I think, you know, and I'm just spitballing here, but if it was me just to, just to think of ways to, to really maximize the diversity of what you're doing, I think you should have an endurance aspect. Mm-hmm. I think there should be a strength aspect. I think then there should be like some kind of high pressure, you know, archery shot or whatever for the shooter mm-hmm. um, on his own. Maybe that's its own stage. Like it's yeah. a combined score of, what you guys do for time over here, where that ranks you, and then where the shooter ranks, and then that could even lead to another shootoff or something. I mean, it could go on forever. Dude, the one that I, I think thought that, of for the final two, like once you get down to two, just freaking just, tug of war, dude. Uh, Throw a rope out there, there and go. just do tug of war. Whoever's the strongest team after all that yes. stuff is the that, that would be killer. <laughs> well, you know what else was cool, man? The freaking jujitsu that was there. That I, was you know, awesome. I really didn't have a chance. I mean, I guess I had chances to do that, but I was like. You know, it, it's it's an investment for me because I did have so many things that I was doing as far as work positions. You know, I had to be different places and moving around and then also just trying to hobnob with everybody that I could yep. um, to go in there and roll around and get super sweaty and then have to shower and all that stuff. I mean, it yep. was going to kill an hour and a half, two hours, sure. which would have been awesome. But I didn't have a dedicated two hours yeah. for anything. You know, I right. was I was moving around 15, 20 minute segments. Um, when you've got a walkie talkie, you're at the mercy of whatever's yeah, on the other well, end of the walkie talkie. And, and that's, and that's just not, that's not just me. That's everyone. Right. I mean, every right. single person that worked for Sornex, like always the, the one beautiful thing about the people I will say at Sornex is that you never hear people say they're having too much to do because everybody is doing more than they have to. Right. You know, that's one of the, that's one of the benefits of working there is like, I'm sure there's, you know, Bert could probably point to some dead weight, but like from my perspective, everybody is doing a really good job sure. at doing the most that they can. All I want to do is the most Mac Miller. Yeah. <laughs> yes. That was a great post by Casey, by the way. That was awesome. Yeah. That was great. Dude. Respect to Casey. Um, but yeah, you know, I think the, the overall format was great. I thought the food was excellent. Um, one thing that I was a little kind of like down on was that the knife section didn't really take off like it did in years previous yeah um josh wasn't there neil kamamura wasn't, neil wasn't there. there so you know it never it never really had that like crescendo moment of yep. where the guys are just out there banging it out i mean some of the some of the makers were there doing stuff jason knight was there he's amazing Lucas. um 
Lucas. Yeah. I mean, there were guys yeah. that were there, but it just, it didn't hold the same uh, spectacle and attention yeah. of the crowd. I think um, the trapper cabin is always a fun time, you know, um, listen to Phil and Michael and a guy that I didn't know that was there with Michael. Um, he's, he's a massage chiropractic uh, guy that all, just a friend of birds, friend of Sornex. He was in there playing guitar. Phil was in there playing guitar. Um, Sam Mackey from outsider, you know, the, the new mm-hmm. kind of a, the competitor of Yeti, the, the cooler. Yeah. Sam was a legendary, he's a legendary soldier. Um, he was there. Um, Bo, Liz, me, um, just, you know, it's an in and out. Oh, um, Coach Witt came in. Yeah. You know, Coach Rusty Witt came in and had a good combo with him, um, you know, sitting there just ripping nips off bottles of bourbon and, <laughs> you know, getting shit face blasted, but like not out of control. You know, right. it was just, it was like a pressure release valve. The, yeah. the trapper cabin is where I go and I just want to like, and have a sip, have a good time, listen to some guys that play guitar way better than I do. But, um, I really enjoyed the outdoor showers. You know, I, I've, I've always enjoyed also. that aspect to it. Um, I don't know. I, I really don't have a long list of things I would change. Maybe, maybe diversify. Like I said, the final, the final run would be a good thing to maybe have some diversity to different stages. But Dude, I'll tell you, I'll tell you one thing that made like a giant world of difference just compared to last year was the weather, man. Dude, like uh, we could, I mean, there literally could not have been better weather the whole weekend. And like, you don't want to necessarily pin bad experiences on weather, but like for last year, for example, we were in a freaking like monsoon for three days. Well, and you know, by the final, by the Saturday night, everything shut down so early because everybody was just like that saps energy from you when you're just in oh, that yeah. all day. And yeah. everybody was just exhausted by like 8 p.m. on Saturday last year. And it just kind of fizzled out. And everybody's like, all right, I'm out of here, man. But it was like it, when there isn't that, yeah. it, it's it, everybody was just so into it and hanging out till super late. And it was, yeah, it was awesome. Well, the thing about that is somebody, I don't remember who it was, but it was funny. Have you ever seen those uh, videos of like the rat just standing there getting like pummeled by rain? Like it just standing there. And somebody posted that in like Winter Strong 5 in one video, you know. But um, yeah. what that also did was, you know, people aren't people aren't inclined to just stay wet. Like I don't care to hunt in the rain. I don't care to yeah. do whatever in the rain. Like I'm not I'm not going to melt. But man, when it's just relentless and it's raining like it was and it's blowing, it was like the, the Forrest Gump rain. Like it was coming up from the ground and you're like, just trying to like, dude, my it's phone raining mat from every inside, my phone <laughs> mat inside my tent last year was a life raft. Like everything I yeah. put when I wasn't in it, I had to put all my bags and stuff on this foam mat. So it wasn't flooded. Cause like I got flooded yeah. inside my tent last year. That was so much. Well, you know, we have the big kind of what I'll call the conference tent where everybody rallies for direction yeah. for the day. And Bert has his his moment to, to talk about things and and everything. And um, the beauty of, of Winter Strong is I think that people kind of hodgepodge from one place to another. They're able to move around. And with so much rain, it was kind of like there aren't enough seats for necessarily every single person. So once you found a seat, you weren't getting up. So your your discussions and your conversations and your connections really became micro down to that one table. And if you got stuck with a group of people that, you know, were just a little bit shy or just maybe not vocalizing themselves or whatever, you were kind of stuck. And then, you know, it, it, it just, it forced everybody into one space with very little space to move. But that's, that is part of winter strong is that you overcome and adapt whatever conditions you're faced with. But yes, to agree, 60 degree days, light winds, um, 45 ish, 40 degree nights. Like 
you get cold, but you're not freezing. Um, and dude, I, in the tent, I set up, uh, I set up a propane tank and had that thing going all night long. I bought, you know, bought one of those deals that has it has a kicker on it that just disperses it. And the little six, uh, the six or eight hour Coleman cans, you know, one of those a night and that tent was, it was perfectly warm. I had a freking, uh, <laughs> it was like the Taj Mahal, the biggest test you could ever <laughs> see in your life. It was like, uh, what is it? It's when you, oh, what's the movie? Oh, I can't remember. The Grand Budapest Hotel? No, because it's like a, it, <laughs> the only thing I could think of even kind of was like, it's like Narnia almost. Like, right? oh, you yeah. see the tent from the outside and then yeah. you open the tent and all of a sudden you're like in this 3000 square. Like, how did this look like this from <laughs> yeah, the <right>? outside? <laughs> you walk in and there's just all this room to do stuff and you're like, oh, what? Yeah. Had chairs set up, cooler, <laughs> mattress. Yeah. Like looking from uh, the but, outside, you're like, this does not look like it's this big on the inside uh, of this tent. Uh, winter strong. Gotcha. Right. In, in quotations. But right. uh, what sucks over there on the side. What sucks about that though is, um, and a shout out to Aaron Snyder at Kafaru. I think there was a, not a miscommunication, but just, um, you know, the, the realities of shipping anything in 2024. Um, <laughs> Seriously. They were supposed to, uh, they were supposed to ship me one of the sawtooths, which is like a very, I mean, that's TP a backpack. Style tent. Yeah. Well, the, the sawtooth is a little bit smaller. Oh, okay. And um, it's probably more like a, I would say like a three. And for someone like me, um, it really makes it into a two person tent because I'm just yeah. a giant and I have a lot of shit. Yeah. So uh, we'll call it a three person, maybe a four maybe a four. Yeah. Um, and that's the one that I wanted uh, just for the event and just to kind of highlight and a thank you to Kafaru because, you know, Sornex has obvious working relationships and I have, you know, personal working relationships yeah. and you're always trying to find, or I'm always trying to find ways to bring new companies, new people into the fold. And for a couple of years, Kafaru has been flirting with uh, the idea of supporting Sornex and, you know, vice versa. Um, that'll kind of come into the outfitter rat conversation here in just a second too. But, you know, I thought, you know what, as much as Aaron has done for me, because Aaron is the only reason I'm shooting a traditional bow. Um, he opened doors to me to make that possible, to make it educational, um, answered text messages, answered questions, and actually kind of kicked me in the teeth. I had a situation where um, I did not recover an animal and I messaged him and I'm like, dude, what's, what happened here? Like, is my arrow right? Is it this? Is it that? And he said, well, it just sounds like you shit the bed to me, you know? And like, <laughs> that's, that's the kind of coaching that I like, you know, yeah. it's like, don't blame this other shit. Like just take ownership. You, you didn't make a perfect shot. You, you, you injured, damaged, killed an animal that you could not find. Um, and you know, it's, it's not an easy pill to swallow, but then he kicks you in the face with a little bit of reality that like, you can rebuild every arrow you want, but you've still got to make the shot, yep. you know, and that's the truth. So after that, and like any failure should be, um, you step back and you learn from it and you do better. It's like, I, it's, is it one more split second to make sure I'm anchored properly and not collapsing is, and I think that's what happened. I got so excited. I collapsed and the arrow drifted left because on a collapse for a right-handed shooter, it usually drifts left. Right. And that, you know, the, the difference of two inches is, double lung or one lung liver yep. and one lung liver an animal. I mean, imagine getting shot. Are you going to stand there? No, you're going to run forever. Well, one lung, they can live for a very long time and mm -hmm. liver, they can take three to four hours to bed down and die. So not saying this animal ran two miles, but in a, in a reasonable spectrum, I tell most people, if you make a good shot and you get three friends and you make a hundred yard grid square, 
one of you is going to find that animal. Yep. Like if you can't find blood, if you made a truly good shot within a hundred yards, if you just grid 10 yards at a time, the three of you, you will find that animal. Yeah. And we did that on a 400 yard grid and never found blood, never found an animal. Um, so this thing probably suffered a pretty terrible death. I mean, a slow yeah. agonizing death. And I am not proud of that. I am not, I am not above making a bad shot. I am not above losing an animal. Like it, it happens, unfortunately, but I will tell you that animal has been in my brain, not, not on every shot, because once I'm in the shot process, I'm in execution. Like I am, I am executing every step, but beforehand I remind myself, don't shoot early. Yeah. Don't try to force a shot. Wait. And that actually, um, well, I guess I can talk about Mexico a little bit here, but yeah, that happened to me in Mexico. Um, I had a deer, coos deer, first one I've ever hunted, first one I've ever killed, um, which is amazing, by the way. I've got to thank Dale Perry from Evolution Outdoors, Nick Fisher um, from AAE, and then Eduardo, my buddy George. Um, he's a guide in Arizona. He was there. Um, kind of, they're all they're all integrated together, and they they yeah. have business dealings and whatnot. And I'm just I'm just the guy that got the ride. So. This place was incredible. But on that shot, I have three draws. Did I send you the video with the three draws? No. I drew three times on that deer before on the I killed first one? On the, the, on the, you, on the deer that I killed. Yeah, the, the one that you killed. Because didn't you have one that jumped down? And, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So the first, the, over first, the, top. the first deer that I shot or shot at, it was a perfect shot. Like for a trad guy, 17 yards is money mm -hmm. shot. Um and he's a beautiful deer. And I was like he super was, calm. I was surprised about that one uh, for like coos deer size. I was like, oh, dang. Dude, did like, you see the one that Dale killed? I mean, yes. it's, it looks like a whitetail. Yeah. It looks like big. it looks like a mutant. Big and for, I actually, big for coos, But yeah, I mean. I had that deer. I had the same size deer or I had that same deer that Dale killed um, at 26 yards quartering two. And I was not afraid of the 26 yards. I was not afraid of shooting at a deer of that caliber. Yeah. I was terrified of 26 yards on that deer after what I'm about to tell you, which is the shot that just, I mean, this, this animal's at 17, 18 yards. He's and I don't ever, ever encourage anyone to shoot an animal with their head down because on a deer, when their head goes down and their neck whips up, their back sinks and they start turning their shoulder. He was so cracked out. He was so on edge the entire time he was around me. He was just, he was like a bird Yeah, landed near him and he damn near jumped like he'd been shot in the heart. Yeah. So he was <laughs> cracked out of his mind and he finally settled down, but he had his head down and I shot and his stomach dropped so fast it hit the ground. And he spun around and the arrow goes about a foot and a half over his back. And I mean, this just would have been, a, it, dude. this would have been a heart shot. Yeah. Like I'm shooting at the deer's heart and he ducks so far down and so fast that the arrow sailed a foot and a half over his back. And as he turned his head, the arrow ricocheted off his antler. So I would rather have that than a, than an injured deer for sure. sure. So that's in my head when the, the deer that Dale killed comes out, I'm like 26 yards on, on a deer that's cracked out of his mind. Mm -hmm. I'm going to have to shoot at the dirt to get it there in a way to, to be effective, to kill this thing. And I knew that all the other guys were hunting with compounds. I knew that they could make a 26 yard shot more, much more effectively and cleaner sure. than I could. Um, and he was quartering too. I would have had to bury between the shoulder blade and his neck, which is like, you can do that. You can hit that yeah. spot and still not kill the deer. So it has to be 
at the right angle, at the right position, at the right height. Just too too many and challenges. And that's a much smaller tar- target. Oh, dude, too. these things these things were like the size of German shepherds. Yeah, like, you know they they yeah they are not big. I don't know how big they are. We didn't we didn't actually weigh them, but I'm talking like if they hit 115 pounds, I, I would be surprised. Like these things yeah. were tiny. Yeah. Um, and but that's one of the cool things about it. It's like a, just a subspecies of a whitetail, and they're super mm-hmm. super cool. Um, so anyhow, the, you know, I'm a little gun shy, you know, not, not in the fact that I won't shoot, but in the fact that I want to be very sure that the deer doesn't have a shit that he doesn't have a clue what's going on until he's yeah, dead. Exactly. Um, so I got this deer, he's standing 11 yards and I get to full draw and he reaches his, uh, left rear leg up and starts scratching his nose. So I let down, leg goes down. I draw, start scratching his nose again. And I'm like, if this thing doesn't stop, I'm going to tuck it in there because it was so close. I could shoot above where he was scratching, but it was going to still be like the chance of he dropped or whatever. Right, right. So as soon as I saw the leg go down, starting to go down, I drew again. I shot him through both shoulder blades, full pass through, broke his legs. He went like 26 yards and died. But one of the cooler things, and I'm not an asshole for doing this. It was just like pure shock and honest, you know, emotion. Um George was filming the shot and George was filming me. And, um, as soon as the arrow hit him, I mean, it was like a purge of blood just exploded. I mean, this all happens in two seconds. So I'm yeah. in full draw. I'm holding whack, and I go, he's dead. And it was like, it wasn't <laughs> like I was, um, I wasn't bragging about that, but yeah. it was like, he's dead because yep. the blood was just instantaneous. And I knew I broke both shoulders cause it was like yep. that, that hard bone sound. And credit to Dale Evolution Outdoors, 175 grain Jekyll, 582 grain arrow backed up with Nix AAE new trad Phoenix veins. Full pass through on any animal through the shoulders. That's that's proof positive. And yep. that setup has uh, it it killed a lot of animals for me in Mexico um, flawlessly. Every single one yeah. of them I had a 31 yard shot on a turkey with head down facing away, which is that's a poke. 31 yards on anything on a turkey turkey. especially dude (laughs) yeah but you know my point on is 30 so i felt pretty confident about that and you know when he was bent down and he was significant i mean he was a big tom he had he had an 11 inch beard had little over inch and a quarter spurs um so he was the biggest bird by far and like many big animals they don't necessarily follow the herd like they're around but they're not in there so it was like well if i miss him i lose an arrow but give it a shot. So at 30 yard, 31 yards, hit him right in the middle of the back arrow comes out, split, split the breastbone perfectly down the middle. He flapped twice, put his head on the ground and never took another breath. Um, got every single thing, heart, lungs, liver, guts. I mean, he was yep. stone dead. Um, killed some javelina, shot a squirrel at 19 yards. I mean, it was just, um, you know, and the reason I did the squirrel it, funny enough is, um, you know, it was the first morning I was out. I just reset my bow. And like, you know, if you're yeah. half a twist off, it can change yep. your tune on your string. Yep. So you've got to be very, very careful. So what I do now is I will hook my arrow onto the string and I will put that into the, the grip of my riser and I'll put a mark on it. I'll put on a, I'll take a marker. Yeah. And that way, when I get to camp, if that line is inside That's the group, the grip, then I need to, to let the string out. If it's outside the grip, I need to take the string in. But I can get within a half twist instantly. Yeah. So then I go shoot it. And if it's a little bit off, I'm a half twist up or down and I'm right back yep. where I need to be. Well, 
you know, having, uh, having an opportunity to like, there's a squirrel and there's 700 other squirrels everywhere under the sun. Um, this is a good opportunity to shoot an animal that is legal, that can be cooked, that will tell me if I am on or if I need to go back to camp and spend some time getting greet that grease the wheel a little bit. Yeah. 19 yards, absolutely destroyed this squirrel. And that's when I knew I was like, if nothing else, I'm on, I am dialed dialed in and I am ready to to kill. And, um, I did, I mean, everything, everything, but that one deer that I shot at, I killed and I ended up shooting a javelina, um, full pass through so much so that it went into the next javelina behind it and it didn't die. I, I mean, I think it will die eventually again, not intentional to hit it, but just, they were moving. And, yeah. um, I think that other one ran off, but they're a rodent. Like a javelina looks like a pig, but they're actually classified as a rodent. They're more like a rat than they are a pig, even though they have yeah. that big snout. Yeah. But my God, I don't know if I'll ever shoot one again. And the reason really? being they have this big stink gland on their back. Yeah. It's like a defense mechanism. Well, I don't know if you've ever just taken rotten meat and took a shit down in a barrel and covered it and left it in the sun for six weeks and opened it up. That's what their stink gland smells like. So I shoot the javelina. The arrow goes through, hits another javelina. The one runs off kind of like with about two inches of arrow in like a long or in, in behind the shoulder. So the arrow drops off. I go down and I pick up the same arrow that passed through. Whatever I hit in the javelina was a it was a devastating shot. I know I got one lung, probably liver, if not both lungs, and some of the liver. I, I clipped a nerve because both of the back legs just stopped. So, oh. and I'm not trying to be graphic here, but I yeah. just want to explain the reality. You know, you have an animal that's got a hole in it, both sides. It's bleeding profusely, and it's dragging its hind legs. That's not, and that's not something I want to see. That's not something that sure. I, I want to be like, Oh, he's going to die. Look at it. You know, it's not a, it's not a happy, excited sure. moment. I wanted to, I wanted to effectively and efficiently, you know, and rightfully with respect to the animal finish the kill. So he's got his, or got his back away from me, kind of tracking away. And it's, it's a real weird moment. Like every animal I shoot, you hope that it doesn't know you're there. Well, this animal knows one it's hurt and knows now it's being hunted and I'm walking out there and I get like six or seven yards from it, knock my arrow again. And I draw back and it was again, like the same thing as the Turkey head away back here. The arrow goes right through that stink gland, just absolutely right through that stink gland. Yeah. Destroyed both lungs comes out the front of its neck. Um, again, bleeding profusely. And I walk over to it. You know, because I, I like I want to be close. I don't care to yeah. stab it with a knife if it's if it's going to suffer even more. Like I'm thinking, two shots through the lungs, through the heart. Like this thing's going to die quickly. I had a pig earlier in Oklahoma, same thing. Yeah. It bled for 40 minutes and didn't die, even though it was freaking lung and heart shots. How the yeah. hell? Yeah. So this was kind of like I'm flashing back to that, and uh, so I'm sitting there, and I'm like four yards from it, and it's doing like you know its head's bobbing. You can tell it's going down, and then I'm like kind of almost relieved and I'm going back to knock my, or to put my arrow back in the quiver. And this thing just starts, starts snapping at me. Those tusks are going at me and it's like four feet away. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it can't really hurt me cause I could move, but the fact that it was still fighting. So I ended up putting another arrow in it. And I mean, it just it, instantly right then it was dead. Yeah. Um, and again, I don't say that saying it's cool. I don't get, I don't say any of that other than just to be transparent about what can yeah. happen even on a perfect shot. Like that yeah. was a, 
you know, I'm an Two inch or so. Perfect shots. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, through the through the spine, through the lungs, and through the heart should be like instant death. And for some reason, this javelina just didn't want to go down. But um, yeah, I mean, it was it was all in all just unbelievable trip. Uh, the farm, well, it's not even a farm; it's a ranch in the middle yeah. of nowhere, Mexico. And uh, I just feel very for- fortunate to have been there. Um, I feel very very grateful to have been able to hunt so successfully. I mean. Outside of that one deer, everything I shot at, I uh, was successful. And the javelina, it was it was the most ethical kill that I could afford. I mean, yeah, you know, sure. I, I shot that thing to kill it with one shot, but everything else I shot was dead within twenty yards. And I mean, even the javelina, it died within ten yards. It was just it was a pretty gruesome ten yards. Yeah. Um, but God, when I took the pictures with the javelina, the way that the sun was and the way that we needed to get for shadowing. Um, I'm downwind of this fucking thing. <laughs> and I swear to God, I swear to like, I'll try to show, I'll try to show you a picture, but where I shot through that gland, I think it just agitated it. So instead of being like its hair all pushing back, like in a flat, like if you had slicked it back, that gland, it just expanded. And it's like, it looks like a, a mohawk in this one circle on its back <laughs> covered in blood. But that gland is like oozing out oh. as I'm sitting there. And dude, like I said, if you put rotten meat and took a shit in it and suck it on the sun for six weeks, that's what that thing smelled like. So oh. in between, in between every smile, I'm like, Bleh. yeah, it's tough to get a like, good smile I, in a picture. Oh, when bro, that's I, had to, I, I had to walk away a few times and I had to wipe tears out of my eyes. I was, I was gagging <laughs> like a maggot, dude. I was not in a good place, but that was, um, that was just one of the best, you know, big hunt camps that I've ever been involved in. Yeah. Um, the, the people there were just it gave me a lot of pause and this is kind of a, a weird transition point, but it gave me a lot of pause about the immigration stuff. Mm. Um, I think a lot of people are just mad at the fact of what's happening. And I'm mad at the Chinese and the Somalis and all the other, you know, pieces of shit that are getting through here. Yeah. Um, but I have worked with Mexican immigrant workers in Kentucky on tobacco farms, cattle farms, I've worked construction with them. I've watched them come here with nothing and build businesses, restaurants. Um, I've seen them live 10 or 12 in like an apartment just so they can save money to send back and support their families. I have the utmost respect for some of the the most wonderful people I've ever met have been immigrant Mexicans or Mexicans in Mexico. So it just made me reflect on it. And it's like, I, I hope that the average American, when they're looking at the border crisis, can look and say, you know what? Um, I can understand why anyone would would want to come here. I can understand the the goodness that so many Mexicans have given to America by coming here and again starting businesses, working construction, the jobs that so many Americans feel they're above doing. Like they really are a significant support to the structure and the infrastructure of America. That farm, from the guides to the people that help us load the animals, to the people that cook the food, to the people that just made sure we had fresh sheets and towels. I mean, it's a very small operation on a very big farm and they just, just amazing. So I I just, it gave me a little bit of like, yeah, a little bit of reminder that, Hey, everybody coming through that border or everybody at the border is not a bad guy. Like there's a lot of good people that are here that have come through that border. So I just, I just hope that, what I wish for the average Mexican is that the United States could establish a one track way to get in legally because yeah. for one family, it's 
$2,000 for the next family. It's $10,000, you know, for one family, it's a three month wait for one family. It's a five year wait. I just wish there was a consistent method because I think if they knew what they had to do, they would find a way to do it. Now it's like, it's either you have a ton of money or you cross it illegally. Like that's kind of the, the only options they have. So I wish that there was a little bit of, I think that would be a reprieve for some of the problems, at least for the Mexican nationals. If they had a this is the website you go to. This is the paperwork you fill out. This is how much it costs. doesn't matter if you're the president of Mexico or you're the poorest guy that ever lived. Like this is the process to get in America. I would respect that. And I would yep. welcome that because everyone I've ever worked with has been the right kind of person, the right kind yep. of person you would want to say proud American. If they say the pledge, they've got American flags on their truck. Like I think a lot of times. Well, I think that's you, the difference. Yes, like, exactly. The that people is the that difference. are coming here to be Americans. Yeah, because they sure. understand that. And like like you said, in uh, like the people that you've worked with in dude in freaking southern Idaho, mm-hmm. dairies and farms like that's the majority of the workforce. Right. In with all the dairies and stuff. So, like, I mean, half the population of the school I grew up in was yeah. like a great deal of them came from immigrant families and stuff like yep. that. So, like, I think that part of it is what most people I would assume would agree on. Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, like, and that's the thing. It's like, I just want people to remember that, you know, I just want yeah. people to remember that like this country is, it, it has a lot of really great things. It has a lot of really good people in it, but we are a, a nation of immigrants. None of us are like, and unless you're native American, none of us are longstanding generational forces on this ground. So, you know, whether you're Irish, Italian, Polish, Russian, whatever your, whatever your background uh, and genealogy is you you're probably a part of something else so i don't so much get on that high horse of well i'm better than you because i was born here i more so get on the high horse if you come here and you look at this place and love it like i do we're allies we're buddies we're friends and i just wish more people that were here would differentiate the border problem from the people who want to come here for the right reasons yeah because the, the thing that's happening now seems very intentional yeah, from, oh, dude. You know well, what I'm I'll saying? Be, like, I'll be for honest. the purpose of not let, like, for the purpose of letting anybody else that aren't those people come in for almost nefarious purposes. You know what I'm saying? So it's like there's there's infinite infinite problems that can happen when the whole goal is to not do anything. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I just think uh, this was an interesting kind of. I don't know. It was an interesting point. So I'm flying back from Monterey, Mexico to Atlanta. Okay. Um, I was one of the only white Americans on the plane. Yeah. I would say 70% of the people on the plane were Chinese um, coming from Monterey, which I found very strange. Um, The other portion were, you know, there were some African-Americans. I don't know their descent. I didn't hear them talk. I didn't get to see if they, you know, if they spoke, you know, like, like as plainly English as I do, or if they were from Africa or whatever. Yeah. But there were only, you know, I was the only white guy on the plane. Yeah. And everybody else coming through, went through the international welcoming line, Chinese nationals. Y'all, I'm I'm being very serious. Like I got, there were, there were two people in the American domestic um, customs, me and another, me and another lady. Um, so I don't know what that's about. I don't know how a nation as poor as Somalia, you know, people apparently don't have two pennies to rub together, end up in Mexico and they're standing at the border coming to the United States. Like 
somebody somebody is helping that process along and I don't get it because I mean that wasn't a cheap plane ticket you know it's a thousand twelve hundred dollar plane ticket so there was a there was a news a news guy I saw that was down just doing reporting down there mm-hmm. on the border and he was saying uh, the video is kind of crazy because he goes I'm fluent in Spanish and my goal to come down here was to talk to people coming in to see like what like who are you what is going on mm-hmm. why are you here what's your plan and he's like I can't talk to ninety percent of the people coming across the border yeah. where I'm standing right now because they're not Hispanic he's yeah. like he's like the majority are Chinese yeah yep well that's what I mean it's like it's a it's a weird thing and it's not like Chinese families it's not like kids and mothers it's twenty five to thirty five year old Chinese military men. age dudes um, one of the things that I found very interesting too about the whole, the whole structure of it all is um, I'm very concerned about, I'll tell you two points. Um, I saw a guy that was doing very similar, just interviewing people at the border. Mm-hmm. And he said, can you tell us our name? And he said, Oh, and this guy, he's challenging the reporter. He goes, he said, you don't know who I am. He said, that's the problem. You should know who I am. And very soon you will know who I am. Well, <laughs> after that went viral, you know, people, can do Google photo ID or whatever, and they can like track down people. Um, apparently, he is um, he's a fugitive from like Azerbaijan, um, murderer, rapist, guns, arm, guns and arms dealer, um, and he's at the border saying, "You should know who I am, and you will very soon." And you will, yeah, yeah, you know. So that was kind of chilling. Um, my, I guess my biggest concern with all of it is if I look, if I'm in Texas, and my governor says, "You know what? I'm sick of this." These people in New York City and Chicago and L.A. telling me that it's not a problem. I'm going to show you that it's a problem. So they start shipping these people all over the country to prove a point, which I understand. Like, I don't fault him for giving them a dose of what they're saying isn't a problem. Yeah. But now there's a network. There's a network of people. Yeah. Spread all over the country. Yeah. You know, like we said, coming through Mexico, Somalian men, um, Middle Eastern men, Chinese men, and inherently, I have friends that are from Somalia that I went to school with and ran, uh, they ran cross country, great dudes. I have friends from China that I've met through business, great people. I know people from the Middle East, a guy named Aladdin um, that I worked with during 9-11, you know, I walk in the office and admittedly, I was like, you know, what's this fucking terrorist doing here, you know? Right. And I talked to him and he kind of painted me a different picture. He said, I'm from the heart of Al-Qaeda. He said, my brother joined Al-Qaeda in exchange for food, water, and money for my parents and the ability for me to come to the United States to go to college. He said his brother was killed two days after he signed up and the parents were given no money. The parents were given no extra food, no anything. And he said that his brother went because he knew that Aladdin was smarter and that he thought he would be the one that should go to college. But the only thing that came from that was somehow the story got picked up a little bit and Aladdin got to come to Berea College where they pay no tuition. Um, you work for your education the same as I did. Yeah. And we really started talking and I, I didn't know anything about him. I, I think I'd, I think I was prejudiced against him to begin with. Um, just the cultural difference was so deep. Yeah. But after I started talking to him, he, he knew I played soccer and loved it. And he said, you know what, Brandon? He said, you would like me. He said, in my country, they call me heartbreaker. And I said, why is that? And he said, because I score the goals and I break the hearts. And he started doing this little <laughs> dance, you know, like a, like a little Pele or something like that. And it just, it hit that experience right there. 
really challenged me. You know, one man's terrorist is another man's martyr. And um, it, it really made me look at things from the standpoint of, yeah, if you're a terrorist knocking on our door, we've got a problem. But imagine having a level of poverty that we can't even comprehend, yeah. you know, an oppression of government or radicals that we've never even experienced. And somebody comes to your door and says, Hey, you know what? I'll get your family out of this life. You just have to give me yours. Yeah. I would probably take that trade, you know, myself, I would probably take that trade. So I have to, I've tried to be more careful about just out and out generalizing people because of where they're from. Right. Um, I'm a little more cautious about that. I'm a little, maybe a little better at giving people the benefit of the doubt um, in, in individual stance. But when I see an army of Chinese people and an army of Somalian people standing at the border, they are at the door, you know, and I'm going to have some questions. Sorry. So didn't mean to go on that political tirade, but it's just something that we need to be aware of. We need to be vehemently opposed to the wrong people getting in here and getting the right kind of people into this country. Um, I think that, I think we just have a lot of work to do, but it starts with us. It starts with what we understand, what we think about and what we comprehend and not everybody coming through the border is bad, but I think we need to do a better job of making sure the only ones that get through are the right ones. Yeah. hundred percent. Well, there it is. There it is. Just <laughs> like that. We cover everything in this show. Uh, peace is a goal. You know what I mean? <laughs> first title of the, so I mean, it's the first word of the page, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. We got anything else we need to wrap up with? Uh, no, just a, just a quick rundown. Um, big thanks to Selway Archery, yep. Jim and Christian Laval and their, their supplement line. Um, which, which by the way, should the, is from what I understand from Christian, the, the official launch of the website for everybody to be able to get all this stuff is like, I mean, we're within a couple of weeks. Yeah. Um, and I think we ought, to, and, we ought to probably and, try to talk to, to them about getting like a, uh, just a small giveaway package of a couple of things. Yeah. Um, I think that would be cool. Maybe even include it in the next giveaway or something. But, and AJ, and when AJ won the last one, he got a few of the things also. Yeah. So. Yeah. That's right. Yep. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I got to get his boat. It's his boat. Yeah. And born primitive is just rock solid. Actually, um, going to the Arnold this weekend, um, uh, for their booth. So oh, nice. anybody that might be at the Arnold, well, I don't know if you'll hear it, but anybody that'll be at the Arnold, I think, I think Saturday will be going over there, um, being in the booth for a couple of hours. I don't think it's like a full obligation thing. They just were like, Hey, if you're in town and you can come by, it'd be great. So I'll yeah. probably put a post up with some times and, um, when I'll be there, but yeah, I'm going to try to try to make the most of that. They've been really, really good to me. They've been good to you. They've been good to the page. They've been good to our supporters. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I just think it's a good company that I believe in and the people behind it are working really, really hard to evolve it and just keep it growing. So yeah, we've, from the companies that support us to you guys that listen and support, um, I just, I feel very, very lucky to be surrounded by so many good people and that's, that's what life's about. Mike drop. <laughs> all right. We'll wrap it there. Stay we'll catch safe, you guys. guys. Take you guys next time and uh, appreciate you all. Thank you.